Welcome to Energy Radio. This is episode 36, and today I'm joined by Johannes Escudero of the RNG Coalition. Johannes, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having us. It's a pleasure to join you on your podcast. Yeah, now we have met once uh, briefly in a bar late at night. Is that right? Am I recalling that story right? I don't think so. <laughs> um, I, I I do recall being introduced by a mutual friend of ours, Sean Goggin, um, from Emerson Vulture Manufacturing in Toronto, a uh, year and a half ago or so, I believe. And then I believe you attended our end of year RNG 2019 conference in December at Dana Point, unless my recollection is uh, diminished, which it could be as a result of everything we've all lived through the last several months. Yeah, I, I had full intentions of going and that just didn't pan out. But yeah, I, I do want to uh, um, get more connected uh, with with your organization. And I've just asked our team to to become members. Um, so card carrying, card carrying, paying members. But uh, no, it's good to <laughs> spend a bit more. I recall that meeting as well. I think it was a maybe a cocktail hour, a very brief conversation. So I'm really grateful to uh to get to know you a little bit better in the organization and just mix it up around RNG. So for our listeners, uh, Johannes, maybe start just kind of by giving us uh, your origin story. You know, what's your kind of career background? What brought you to where you are today? And, and then we'll, we'll go from there. Sure. Well, it's, it, it goes quite a ways back. And I would say I, I owe anything that we have accomplished um, in our brief lifespan thus far, not only to the, my Heavenly Father, God, who enables us with the mental and physical capacities to explore opportunities, but also to my earthly mother, mm. who emigrated from Argentina uh, many years ago, literally sold everything that she owned in order to afford the airfare. And uh, she and her sister left Buenos Aires, Argentina for America so that her children could have the opportunity to be born here in the land of opportunity and and take advantage of opportunities she somehow knew we would not have if otherwise born in her native country. Um, and so the entrepreneurial spirit was born uh, with me, I would say, as part of my DNA. And traversing a diverse career that included um, uh, higher education, that included most recently serving as legislative director in the California State Assembly, serving a number of ranking members on a variety of relevant uh, committees to our work now, um, was always sort of filtering the work I was engrossed in through the entrepreneurial curiosity or question of what might this lead to and ultimately why am I here and, and what am I what am I involved in and what does this mean? Uh, and I think, you know, to, to steal from Simon Sinek, a uh, great book, by the way, I'd recommend for your audience, start with why, mm. um, ultimately led to my why and discovered that in addition to having an entrepreneurial affliction, in my heart, I'm an advocate and have a strong passion and desire to improve uh, life and well-being for those around me and my immediate family, community, circle of influence, um, and, and beyond that, the world. And 
in my legislative capacity was privileged with the opportunity to peruse no shortage of data points and information across what at the time were issue areas cataloged in 32 different areas uh, from aging and agriculture all the way to you know zoology and I fell in love with renewable energy mm. and it was over the course of fall interim research when I came across a biogas bill from the year prior had never been lobbied on the subject was curious why I hadn't especially since there was a bill that was precariously um, shelved that same legislative session and it was interesting because of who the author was the committee where the bill should have been introduced and yet it was never never given a hearing so I reached out to the stakeholders that engaged upon that bill's introduction and was a little bit surprised to hear they were um, clueless as to what the status was as to the legislative process or the politics in play that ultimately led to the bill being killed before it ever had a chance to see the light of day. Wow. So that opened up opportunities. I was invited to come address a small group of high BTU landfill gas to electricity producers. And it was during that exploratory visit where we confirmed that what we dubbed as the RNG industry, of course, you may recall that this is back in late 2010, early 2011, yeah. everything was sort of referred to as biogas, right. right? And so the biogas industry at that point had no representation. Um, not, not to say others hadn't ad hoc attempted to move the needle. I'm sure they did. I know Swana, who remains a, a strategic partner of ours, had uh, attempted legislative or political action at, at different points. But that wasn't their core business, right? And so biogas? Uh, we identified it. And I'm sorry. Did the did the ABC, the American Biogas uh, Council, exist at that time? Not not at this point, no. And I think they started. I, I believe they officially founded early 2011. Okay. Uh, we didn't meet the ABC folks until 2012. Wow. Um, and so I think they were still getting kind of their sea legs as we were being formed. And so our paths didn't cross till probably a year, year and a half after our founding. So didn't even know they existed, right? Right. Um, and, and so the need was very clear. And we determined, my co-founder David Cox and I, who also served in the state legislature with me, um, out of our own pockets, hosted an inaugural membership luncheon where we cast a vision for the industry to essentially coalesce the industry to establish a policy platform and create an amplified advocacy voice so that rather than responding to legislative, regulatory, or political issues of, of interest or impact to the industry, we could be proactive. Mm. Um, and that was, again, July 7th of 2011 uh, at the infamous Frank Fats restaurant down the street from the state capitol in Sacramento. And we had 42, 44 companies attend. Oh. Um, and all of whom have since, except for one financial institution, all of, of whom have since joined the coalition. And we just approved our 250th membership application. We now have 250 active members, Excellent. not including CM engineering, by the way. Right. Uh, so not you'll be yet. 251. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so here we are. That's wow. That's a great story. And before we move too far, I am just fixated on that. You know that story of your mother's 
uh, immigration to to America. And and so, do you? Did I hear you correctly that you you see these kind of two um, makeups of your DNA? This this risk taking, entrepreneurial. How can we f- make a you know? How can we find a better uh, world for ourselves? Spirit. That's kind of number one. And number two is. I think also tied to the life of a a new immigrant is this desire for advocacy for, you know, things that perhaps, you know, aren't given a voice or, or need, you know, a little bit of help to kind of get on their way. Am, am I hearing you that, that those two, two things that you're really embracing every day now in your, in your work, that really comes out of your story of how your mother came to this country as an immigrant and a fresh life for you. Is that really make up your DNA at its core? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. The the faith that she had in God, the faith that she had in the promise of what America represented, uh, and what which is what attracted her and caused her to leave, you know, family, friends, and all things familiar, and not knowing, by the way, that she would never be afforded the opportunity to return. She passed much too early, mm-hmm. uh, eight years ago this this coming September, and so uh, obviously her spirit, her drive, her her industrial approach to to every opportunity from cutting my hair as a child until you know I was fully grown and, and uh, until she was no longer physically able to to making clothes for my sisters and I to home cook meals every night from scratch I mean just an absolute industrial approach to life uh, the the epitome of uh, sustainability, right? Right. Uh, from a, a family financial and budget standpoint to making things last uh, and such a zest and passion in everything she did. And I think she passed that down to my siblings and I. Mm. And so I, I live and to an extent am committed to figuring out how to pass that spirit on to my own children. Right. Um, and as you know, it, it's much more, more difficult. You, you know, certain lessons are only li- learned in the foxhole uh, and absent those same struggles. Uh, how, how do they come away with the same strength of character and resilience unless it's tested in similar fashion? So that's, that's the challenge my wife and I, and her, she has a similar story. Her grandparents immigrated through Ellis Island mm. many years ago, or great grandparents rather. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's very strong with us. And we're very cognizant. While we're proud to be American, we all came from somewhere. Right. And while we can't control everything, what we can control is our behavior and that of those closest to us, our family units. We can perhaps by example communicate to those in our circles of influence uh, perhaps how families can coexist and how communities can live together peacefully. Uh, and work together to to improve our life and well-being for the larger community and society in general, right? No, no short task for sure. And we certainly, uh, I don't mean to represent that we're exemplary in any respect, but that's certainly a, 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 something we live with and we strive to be uh, as people of faith, as proud Americans, as, as entrepreneurs and advocates. Yeah, and I'm, I'm just, this is resonating with me on, on so many levels. And, I, you know, I, I am, I am the grand grandson of, of uh, and as is my wife's granddaughter of Dutch immigrants after the war. And 
come to Canada and, you know, Canada was this seen as this savior nation to the Dutch people having, you know, uh, driven back the Germans. And so they, they come here as the land of milk and honey, as my grandfather would say, and, and, and a similar story of faith and similar story of, you know, striking out in this new land of opportunity and making the best of it. And we also wrestle with how do we, how do we recreate that foxhole as you call it? Because, um, as we every generation we get removed from that reality we we lose kind of the tangibility of of that entrepreneurial and that um you know kind of immigrant mindset which is i think in a lot of ways a a heavy mindset or you know a a beneficial uh, mindset so uh, anyways we could we could go in in a a totally different uh, direction with this and talk for probably the next hour together about that particular topic and I'm sure we'll get a chance to do that. But uh, I appreciate you sharing, um, Johannes, your your story with authenticity because I think it speaks to, you know, what you're doing and why you're doing it. Uh, and and I think my personal belief is it also speaks to how effective, why you are so effective in in, in doing this. And so um, that's that's really helpful. We all come from somewhere, and it's important to know where you come from. So now, as you lead kind of the, the, the coalition, you know, over the last, um, you know, nine years, um, you know, what, what have you seen kind of, that's, that's, that's a good kind of chunk of history. And I would imagine that there have been, you know, pretty substantial changes. Like, did you start as a state-based initiative and now you've grown federally, you know, are you, you're starting to see traction. I, I think you guys have, have moved the needle on some stuff. Talk to us a little bit about how the industry has changed over those nine years. Great question. And um, to be honest, we actually cast a vision for a California coalition on July 7th, 2011, specifically. Um, and yet, and, and as, as we did, the opportunity was thrust upon us. At the time, legislation was introduced that threatened the eligibility of, again, what was referred to as biogas produced outside of California, but that was being imported into California um, for purposes of the Renewal Portfolio Standard, or RPS program, uh, which I believe was only a 25% requirement at the time. That certainly escalated over the last nine years, and now there's a, a you know, 100% carbon-free by 2045 wow. mandate. Um, and so being thrown into that initial thrust, our uh, initial intent was to have the first three to six months just to recruit membership, uh, to sort of establish a member and related budget foundation from which to build an effective organization. We really didn't have that luxury. Uh, fortunately, because this bill was introduced in California and we were literally, uh, at the time, although we'd recused ourselves from all energy policy, we're still gainfully employed by the state legislature, mm. uh, we're able to quickly disengage, um, set up the nonprofit and immediately go to work lobbying against those legislative efforts. And we ended up introducing, or a friend of ours, uh, former assembly member Mike Gatto introduced for us what became Assembly Bill 1900, and through the legislative process and for political purposes, I ended up double-joining that bill to AB 2196, and we're able to effectively grandfather all of our members' RPS contracts. So all the biogas out of state that was coming to California was grandfathered, 
Hmm. And that gave us instant credibility with our industry. Right. And because we were successful in our first year, not only introducing, but successfully passing legislation that opened the door for the in-state biogas or biomethane or renewable natural gas market to develop. Um, and I can tell you the history as to why that was necessary too. That really put us on the radar across the country and that began opening up doors for us so that when we actually filed our articles of incorporation, mm. uh, we expanded immediately beyond just servicing the state uh, or stakeholders in the state, but across uh, North America. And because of our advocacy across the United States and Canada, uh, there are some detractors who would suggest, oh, well, you're not focused enough on in-state, which is ironic uh, because we do spend a lot of time in California and it's where I live. It's where uh, two of, uh, other of our staff members live. It's where we spend an inordinate amount of our time and for good reason. Sure. Uh, California not only has the longest legislative cycle or session, mm. um, but if, if for better or worse, as goes California, so goes the rest of the country and sometimes the world. And so if we don't spend the time and the capital and the resources to get things right in California, we risk suffering the consequences uh, everywhere else for, uh, from everyone else getting it wrong. Um, and so um, it is what it is. Uh, sure. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's how we started. Yeah. Right on. No, that's great. And, and then as you morph and as you grow and as you, you, you kind of hit the ground running with that initial, success story um you you broaden out you know relatively quickly and i guess my question is in terms of how how you direct your efforts as an organization um maybe quick question you know how how big is the team but then the follow-up question is how much of your effort is is done at the federal level vis-a-vis you know how much is done at the state level um you know maybe walk us through you know, how those two policy frameworks are perhaps different or the same? Absolutely. So our mission is to advocate for the sustainable development, deployment, and utilization of renewable natural gas. That's connected to our why, and it's so that present and future generations have access to domestic renewable clean fuel and energy. Mm. And our, our position, which sort of serves as a filter, um, has always been that we support renewable natural gas regardless of the feedstock where it's derived from, right. regardless of the competing technologies used to produce the RNG. We represent in our membership every technology, uh, at least all the majors, and we support renewable natural gas production for all sustainable end-use applications, residential, commercial, or industrial. Right, And that's important to highlight because when we first began in 2011, nearly 100% of RNG was coming from landfill. Um, and nearly 100% of the output was being used to generate renewable electricity. And that's a byproduct, again, of policy, right? Mm -hmm. And RNG was a base load source of renewable power that was eligible to uh, participate in close to one, you know, 37 different state variety renewable portfolio standard programs okay. uh, and to different degrees. Uh, and there are a few exceptions to that. Waste management was fueling their fleet on site with, with upgraded biogas, biomethane. Um, and so the, through effective policy advocacy and education, the policy landscape has shifted. 
right? And so again, back in 2011, almost 100% of all energy was used for transportation fuel. Today, less than, I'm sorry, 100% was used for power. Yes. Today, less than 20% is used for power and greater than 80% of RNG is delivered to the transportation fuel markets. Wow. Um, and that shift has really taken place just in the last six years. On July 14th of 2014, we successfully lobbied EPA and were able to reclassify certain RNG feedstocks to qualify as cellulose and biofuel and generate uh, D3 RINs under the RFS program, okay. uh, which created additional economic incentive. Um, and so as new projects came online or as old um, electric project you know, procurement arrangements expired, that RNG was then rerouted and, and delivered to the transportation fuel market. Um, and so when we first began, we had the stereotype that, oh, we were just the landfill group. Right. Um, and then, and then as, as, as end use migrated away from power more towards transportation, we, we've had to sort of battle the, well, you're just the transportation fuel group. Mm -hmm. So to be clear, our, our position is we support RNG from all feedstocks using sustainable technologies for all sustainable applications. Um, we have to your, your second question, now 13 members on our team advancing our mission on a daily basis working on federal state provincial legislation regulation policy um, dealing with the politics with administration so that involves um, legal as well uh, in addition to our our communications our marketing our public education and our annual events hmm. so we've grown considerably since uh, we began david and i Wow. Uh, just nine years ago this past July. That's amazing. Congratulations. That's really cool. And um, is it fair to say that most of the effort now is kind of targeted at, you know, getting the federal regulations right and then they will uh, trickle down to the states or, or is it still a, a really even two-prong approach? Oh, it's very much a two-prong approach. Okay. And one thing we remind our industry members of is it's never a good idea to put all of our proverbial market eggs in any single basket, right? Especially given the fact that most of the markets our industry relies on today are underwritten by or were promulgated by policy and policies that can shift and change as, as the electorate shifts and as elected officials term out of office and or are replaced. Right. Uh, and so for those reasons, and in line with our position, um, we are we are advancing policy initiatives to create as much market demand diversity as possible. Mm. Um, again, early on and going back even prior to our founding of Section 29, Section 45 tax credits and the RPS programs that attracted RNG project development for electricity generation. And then with California's LCFS program promulgated by AB32 in 2006 as that program uh, matured and and since we've seen similar programs and have had a hand in duplicating the LCFS in the Pacific Northwest and are working on similar policies in the Midwest and Northeast uh, with the eligibility under the renewable fuel standard at the federal level and a similar program being developed now the clean fuels standard in Canada um, you know, there's, there's a good amount of diversity and we're committed to that. Um, but in addition, we believe the next horizon in terms of market demand, um, is the building sector. Mm. 
And we know that there's a strong desire, some share, to electrify, and I think there's certainly a role for electrification, at least for electrification. You can actually produce renewable electricity, as our industry demonstrated for decades, right. um, from biogas or RNG. But the reality is, is there's going to be buildings and sectors of our economy that are just going to be near difficult, if not impossible, to electrify, either for cost reasons or for logistical reasons, access. Um, and that's where I think we have a tremendous opportunity, not only to decarbonize our existing energy infrastructure, but to deliver a renewable product to those customers and re replace conventional gas with renewable natural gas. Um, so we're really excited about that, and, and our policy initiatives are forward-thinking in that way uh, at the federal, state, and provincial levels. Yeah, right on. Yeah, it, it, I mean, ex, you know, excitement is the right word. I mean, there's just so much happening and there's, you know, so many, so many opportunities out there. And, um, you know, I, I, I hear, I hear your approach on, you know, creating a basket of opportunities. Um, but is, is it fair to say that at, at this point, still the predominant market drivers, albeit now more diversified, are still um, those drivers exist predominantly because of government-led policies? Yes, that is a fair statement for sure. And, um, and the follow-up question then is, are we, are we nearing a point or what has to happen where we get to a point where it's, it's truly, you know, market-driven, where, you know, the, the, the demands of the market start to outpace the decisions of the policymakers, or, or do we not get to that point? That's a fair question. And the answer, in my opinion, in our, our opinion, is uh, the challenge we have is with respect to the technology our industry uses to uh, capture methane that would otherwise um, be combusted, flared, literally wasted, or worse, escape fugitively into the atmosphere as a short-lived climate pollutant, many times more potent than carbon, is we're essentially working with recycled oil and gas equipment. That's not to suggest that the technologies aren't advancing, that efficiencies aren't improving. That certainly is true. Um, but it, it's not as though we're reinventing a wheel here. Right. 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 And so when you compare renewable natural gas to other renewable energy alternatives, let's just use wind and solar for example, uh, who have enjoyed and continue to enjoy subsidies and tax incentives and have so for decades now, um, those same benefits are not available to renewable natural gas production. Right. Um, sure, you can maybe realize a, a production um, tax incentive in certain regions if RNG is used for certain and use applications, but not across the board for RNG production in general. Mm. And so there's some, uh, uh, there's lack of equity there. Um, in terms of balancing out markets created by policy versus uh, procurement that's uh, on a more voluntary basis, that's a function of the fact that we were founded in 2011 for the express purpose, as I said at the outset, of providing a policy platform and advocacy voice for the industry. And so we have, for the last nine years, focused on educating the elected officials and appointed regulators right. at the federal, state, and provincial levels. And any 
public education has really been a byproduct uh-huh. of our advocacy work, but not a direct focus until now. And so, uh, you know, a case in point, if you were to conduct an informal survey, let's say, of, of your neighborhood, right? Uh, perhaps with the exception of those closest to you who, who know what you're passionate about and know that you're involved in the space. But if you were to ask what they think of first when you suggest renewable energy, most people will probably say solar first, followed by wind, yes, and maybe hydro. Right. Very few people across the board would volunteer renewable natural gas. Why is that? It's not because it's inconceivable. The opposite is true. And we have almost 20 university members, so we've had the opportunity to speak across the country from Stanford to Cornell with uh, you know, next generation leaders. And we're refreshed when presented with the facts and the good science. Common sense prevails and, and they understand the mechanics of organic materials breaking down naturally emitting methane that we as a society have a responsibility to do something with, mm-hmm. right? So that's encouraging. Um, but the, the reality is generally people don't have an understanding of what renewable natural gas is. Um, and, and that's just the function of our playing catch up, right? Wind and solar had a 10 to 15 year head start uh, and they've done a fantastic job. And because the solar panel is so tangible and because right. the wind turbine is so obvious, it's, it's easy to wrap your, your mind around what it is. Um, whereas renewable natural gas feedstocks ironically don't have the same curb appeal, even though we push our waste bins out to the curb every week. Uh, so we have to change that, right? And we, we have to do a better job of educating the general public, the electorate, who will ultimately inform and call upon what policies the elected officials need to support. So um, we have doubled down our commitments and have expanded our member service offering, recognizing that public education is tantamount to policy advocacy and in some cases a necessary prerequisite uh, for effective advocacy. So, yeah, wow. and, and so I think public education will pave the way, right, as people better understand what RNG is, where it comes from, how it's produced, how we are all as a society responsible for the organic materials, the feedstock that uh, that that produces that methane, um, then I think you know companies and corporations and universities, cities and counties and municipalities increasingly, uh, as part of their corporate sustainability objectives and from an ESG standpoint, are are going to jump on board. Like I said earlier, when presented with the facts, uh, common sense prevails, and it just makes sense. It's a no-brainer, right? Yeah. So, so our, our job really as advocates is to, I love that phrase. We, we got to give curb appeal, uh, to our industry. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I know the struggle. I mean, not as intimately as you, but I, I spent some time on the board of what has become the Canadian Biogas Association. And we would go in front of. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, yeah. I, I spent a lot of time only in biogas, uh, doing, you know, project development, uh, when we had our FIT program here in Ontario and we did a bunch of projects in Southern Alberta as well. And so I served with, uh, Jennifer Green, who's been on the podcast, served with her for a two year term on the board. And we would do a lot of government provincial advocacy. And, and, you know, this was kind of, I want to say this was 2012, 13 era and, the, pro- the problem we, we had, we kind of looked at each other after every meeting is 
we have too many benefits, right? Like there are, you know, the value chain of an RNG project or a biogas project, there are so many environmental benefits throughout that value chain that it's almost, um, if not articulated clearly, it makes the story harder to grasp and harder to kind of understand. Whereas wind and solar, um, they have, you know, one benefit, but it's so easy and simple to grasp. Whereas we have all these benefits that can stack up. Um, but sometimes it, it just takes a lot more effort and a lot more, you know, blood, sweat and tears uh, to get the, the general populace and, and, and those who are elected uh, to really understand that. So it's, um, you know, you guys have really moved the needle and it's been fun to kind of get to know you guys a bit and, and, you know, thank you for your work and your continued work because, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a tough slog and, 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 but I think at some point though, and maybe you guys share or don't see this opinion, but do you see at some point we reach an inflection point where there's enough awareness that we get a bit of a critical mass? Do you see that, uh, in the future? I do see that in the future, absolutely. And we see evidence of that already with companies that have reached out or are reaching out and, and are asking the right questions and are trying to figure out how to incorporate RNG into either their fuel procurement portfolio or overall energy strategy or um, you know, carbon reduction strategies, etc. So I, I think it is promising and the better job we can do educating the general public, I think will only further bolster um, that inevitability or expedite that inevitability. Right on. So we're committed to that. The, the ESG piece and, and the, the, you mentioned it there, the procurement of, um, you know, these renewable fuels uh, for, for us, from our vantage point, and I'd like to hear you kind of talk about this, you know, we, we see the big, you know, fortune 500 companies that we have the opportunity to work for, um, you know, they're, they're, they have a lot of mandates that are coming from the board and from the invest, the, you know, the activist investors saying, you know, where's your ESG plan and where's your, you know, approach to CO2 reduction. And, um, and so it's, it's kind of now making its way down to the director level or the plan manager level. And they're, they're seeing targets in front of them. And, and this is not coming from any policy directive. It's coming from, you know, market forces uh, you know, whether it be, you know, Walmart or Costco or whatever, they're, they're driving that down the value chain. Um, are, are you, how are you guys, are you seeing that? And, and how are you and your organization or your membership maybe uh, engaging in that, uh, what I believe to be an emerging market? Yes, we are seeing some of that as well. Um, and, and we have to be careful, obviously, as a nonprofit organization, uh, when we are asked and we receive uh, the request quite often uh, to either match financiers with developers or vice versa or developers with off takers or the other way around. Um, and obviously, as a nonprofit organization, we have a charter to advocate and educate on behalf of the industry's collective best interest. Right. And so what you know, it, what we tell folks is, look, if you're a member of the coalition, and you're asking for an introduction to a fellow member and you're asking for a specific company, then we could do that. Uh, but we can't we can't create a sort of uh, advantage for one industry stakeholder over another uh, by, by sort of matchmaking and putting putting the pieces together, not not, uh, not as the RNG coalition. So our focus is on advocacy and education 
um, with, you know, and, and this is probably a good point to share what our philosophy has always been, right? And this does stem from our experience, which is, look, at the end of the day, advocacy and education are what influence public policies, right? Uh, public policies, for better or worse, as we've all lived through, uh, impact demand, uh, market demand, right? Uh, that demand correlates with the value of a commodity, in this case, renewable natural gas or related services. Um, and then there's an sort of uh, inextricable nexus between the value of that commodity as it's associated with the market demand and the ability of those industry stakeholders to remain solvent or, as we're committed to, uh, sustainable. Mm-hmm. Right, sustainability. So, hmm. so let's get a bit more uh, kind of uh, you know maybe practical in terms of like where where are you seeing the last maybe couple of years or the upcoming years? Are there particular areas or types of projects uh, where R and G is seeing you know growth and you're excited about? Are there untapped areas like what's what's happening in the industry? you know, kind of right now and, and where the, where the exciting aspects are in the industry. Absolutely. And I mentioned our position has been, we support RNG regardless of the feedstock. And so even though at the outset, most RNG was coming from landfill, um, we began educating elected officials and where possible through policy advocacy, um, opening up market opportunity for investment capital and project development to occur at other feedstock locations like wastewater treatment, like dairies uh, and other agricultural livestock waste. And so that's been really exciting to see over the last nine years, quite a diversity of feedstocks being developed uh, into renewable natural gas production. Um, I think I shared with you when we started the coalition in 2011, there were only 31 RNG projects. Wow. In all of North America. And the first project had been developed back in 1982. And technically it wasn't the first project ever built, but it was the first project that we were, it's the, we refer to it as the first project because it's still operating today. That first project I think was built back in 1980, but it didn't last. Right. Whereas the RNG project at the Fresh Coast Landfill on Staten Island, New York is still producing renewable natural gas today close to 40 years later Man. Um, and delivering renewable product to thousands of satisfied customers. But between 1982 and our founding almost 30 years later in 2011, an average of one project was built per year. Um, most of those at landfills. Okay. In our first four years of existence as an organization, we were able to, through effective advocacy and education, help quadruple that annual average from one project per year to four projects per year. So we had 47 projects um, in 2015, which at which point we announced an initiative to, again, if we did our job, uh, would give industry the opportunity to double the number of projects from 47 to 100 projects over the next 10 years by 2025. Okay. Uh, and, and again, we were sort of reminded by uh, our board and leadership members that this was an aggressive target, uh, but we just we we could see the potential. We we knew what was possible uh, with any market support, and so very proud to say we crossed that 100 project milestone and wow. achieved our 2025 objective five and a half years ahead of schedule. My goodness, last July. Wow. And in just the last 12 months, 
our industry has constructed and brought more RNG projects online than they did between 1982 and 2011, that first 30-year period of history. Huh. So the, the trajectory, the potential has never been greater than what it is today. Uh, it's no, these, these are no longer science projects or pilot projects. The proof of concept has, has, um, has been proven repeatedly. And, and we announced this past December at our end of year conference, our new SMART initiative. And SMART's an acronym for Sustainable Methane Abatement and Recycling Timeline. And it's our initiative to capture and control the methane um, from the more than 43,000 sites across North America where organic waste is aggregated mm. by 2050. Okay. And so we're actively working with our advisory boards and our membership developing an action plan that includes meaningful benchmarks for 2030 and 2040 that will ensure we meet that objective by 2050. And we're confident we're going to get there. Now, we've received the same reaction we did in 2015 when we said 100 projects by 2025. Um, but the reality is, is look, this, this cannot be accomplished born solely on the backs of our developers. It's going to take us thinking um, about every possible strategy. It's going to take all hands on tech. It's going to take every sector of the economy. It's going to take government. It's going to take universities and nonprofits. It's going to take uh, pipeline utility companies, municipalities, cities, counties, airports, ports. Pulling together, it's going to take support from society, and that supports likely only to occur if we educate them properly. Yes. Um, as we talked about earlier, realizing we all have a role and a responsibility to the extent we're putting organic waste into our green waste bins. Um, I'm not sure what color yours is. Um, in, in our county, they're green. We put food waste in a green bin. Yes. Um, that's going to go somewhere. If it's not to, you know, California has now a 75% organic waste diversion requirement away from landfills uh, by 20, January 1, 2025. Well, guess what? That organic waste has to go somewhere. And whether it's in a landfill, whether it's in a digester, even if you put it in a compost facility, it's going to break down organically just the same and emit the same amount of methane. Yeah. And we have a responsibility uh, to capture and do something with the methane as a society that we're producing. Yes. Uh, and the good news is our industry stands ready as a, a proven solution to remedy that problem and help address climate change that way. Not to mention, provide an additional waste management solution because, as I said, that waste has to go somewhere, <laughs> right. um, and we're producing it. So, can you restate that 2050 goal? Because I I think that's really important. Can you re like yes. say it again? I'll try to be more succinct. So, our Smart Initiative, and again, Smart stands for Sustainable Methane Abatement and Recycling Timeline, and it's our initiative to capture and control methane from the more than 43,000 aggregated organic waste sites in North America by 2050. Wow. Uh, and I mentioned we're working with our membership and our advisory boards, putting an action plan together that includes benchmarks to get there, right, for 2030 and 2040. So uh, we know we have our work cut out for us, and we can't do it alone. So we need the support of every podcast listener and their family and their colleagues and their coworkers. And, you know, we, we should never underestimate the value of a conversation. Right. And so having these types of conversations, even with people outside of industry, go a long way. In fact, the RNG Coalition today would not exist had it not been for a single phone call conversation. Yeah. And a subsequent conversation over a cup of coffee in our living room. 
and so, you know, you just never know where the spoken word might lead you to. Totally. Very, very cool. No, it's an exciting, I mean, it's a, it's an aggressive, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's an, it's an aggressive target. It's an extreme, uh, goal. But, uh, as my mother used to say, if we didn't have the extremes, we would never move the middle. Right. And so, you know, that's right. No, that's right. You know, we, we need, we need those, you know, and, and, and the goal has to be so extreme that it causes us to think outside the box and, and rally everybody together. And, and uh, so by 2050, so that in my next conversation, I can reiterate your goal. Your smart goal by 2050 is to be uh, to capture and utilize all the methane emissions from the 43,000 um, sites where organic waste is is delivered. Is that in? Did I get that pretty close? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Cool. And, and nailed it. When we see the industry right now, in terms of you talked about where where the feedstock is coming from um is the is the use of the rng changing uh you know is that developing as the industry grows and matures well i mentioned the migration from power to right. heat to transportation fuel to now it's truly a diverse portfolio of consumption um and i mentioned that we think use of rng to decarbonize heat and buildings uh, represents an enormous demand that's that's relatively untapped today. Yeah. So I think that's the next horizon. But beyond that, I mean, there's renewable chemicals, right? There's everyday household cleaning um, products. There's windshield wiper fluids um, where we've had conversations. You know, that's a market that we haven't touched really where there's some interest. Yeah. Um, cool. And displacing conventional gas with biogas and RNG um, throughout the process to decarbonize, right, the the life cycle emissions associated with the manufacturing of certain products. And so, um, again, there these aren't market spaces where there's policy requirements, and so there's no obligated parties, and so these companies aren't forced to. Um, and and there are some impediments. The RNG is expensive to produce. Sure. Um, and so, you know, those costs, we have to figure out how to get those costs down somewhat um, or else otherwise incent those companies to pay the premium yeah. to, to incorporate RNG into their process. Um, but that's true of any new renewable energy form, right? I mean, wind and solar were much more expensive than they were uh, or were much more expensive um, than they are now, right? Um and so, yeah, we're, we're really excited. RNG is, is really flexible and can be used in so many different capacities. Yeah. Um, well, what, one of the discussions we're having, you know, local to where we are here in Ontario is, you know, we have this drive towards uh, electrification. And, and we, like you, we support that. We think it's important. Um, and, you know, it, it allows us to, particularly in our context with a largely renewable grid it allows us to really reduce our, our carbon footprint uh, but we have limitations with that in, uh, in ontario we have an electricity system that notionally is twenty five thousand megawatts but if you step back and you look at our uh, natural gas system it's about eighty thousand megawatts and so to try to replace all of that uh, thermal load or that you know natural gas heating and buildings as you point out um, to do that via electrification, it's just not technically practical. Um, where are we going to get all that new energy? So, 
you know, there's there's really a space, a big space, I think, for you know, renewable natural gas to, you know, benefit from the existing natural gas infrastructure that is there today that's already been paid for, um, and and can can help us towards you know that goal of, of greening our energy consumption, right? And so, you know, those markets are going to continue to develop and evolve. Uh, but yeah, building heating, process heating. You know those needs will always be there, and so you know let's let's make sure that uh, the molecules that are burned are are green instead of you know coming out of coming out of the ground you know over time. So so it's it's an exciting time for for sure. Um, hey, I, I have to ask you uh, if you, and, and maybe maybe, but it's it's such a such a, a buzzword these days. Um, the whole topic of hydrogen, you know, is that something you guys are keeping your eye on? Where, where do you see that vis-a-vis what you're yeah. doing? And what, what's your what's your two cents on hydrogen? Everybody else seems to be talking about it. <laughs> well, and, and it's not a new topic, but I think there's renewed interest. And I think as technologies producing hydrogen evolve and become more cost effective, the idea becomes much more viable. Uh, and we support renewable gas, not just renewable natural gas. And of course, hydrogen, as you know, can be produced and derived from RNG. Right. Uh, we have a number of member companies who are, are committed to that. That's their sole purpose. Um, and, and with respect to our organization's involvement, renewable hydrogen is uh, within the scope of several of our advisory boards. And we actually have a gentleman by the name of Dr. Uh, Prabhu Rao, Chief Operations Officer for ZBEC, um, who serves as our organization's senior advisor on renewable hydrogen. So uh, we, we are not the experts in all things renewable hydrogen, but we certainly support it. We think it's a, a crucial part of uh, any strategy to decarbonize our existing energy infrastructure. Uh, it used to be when we first started the coalition, uh, we we were we heard the the old adage right that hydrogen is the fuel of the future and it always will be well guess what the future is here mm-hmm. um, and and I think that uh, what you're seeing in the marketplace uh, is really exciting and we support that uh, I think if we're going to completely decarbonize existing infrastructure it's going to th- there's not enough RNG to do it alone that we've never pretended to be the only strategy right. we think that decarbonization is going to be achieved in concert with renewable hydrogen and with electrification and, and different technologies, uh, power to gas and gasification uh, that allow us to, to truly produce as much renewable gas as we can to make a bigger impact on, on decarbonizing our energy economy. Very, very cool. Yeah, no, it's, uh, and, and to your point about, you know, having those conversations and telling the story, you know, the more, the more effort and the more people we have, uh, at the table, uh, telling stories that match up and work together and are in lockstep with each other, um, you know, the, the, the more effective we're going to be, you know, as a broader broader industry for sure. So uh, awesome. Johannes, as we kind of uh, land the plane here, um, is there something we haven't talked about yet that you're dying to talk about? Or is there a, a message you want to leave our listeners with in terms of you know, how we can get, you know, a broader and broader uh, renewable natural gas adoption. I'll, I'll give you the, the floor kind of in closing here. Well, I, I think we've covered it, but I recall an old college professor uh, admonishing for any public presentation that we follow the outline of tell the audience what you're going to tell them, tell them, and then tell them what you told them. And so I suppose in summary, <laughs> you know, it all comes back to 
personal responsibility, right? Uh, not everyone has heard of renewable natural gas yet or is familiar with the great work our industry organization is doing. But if we can begin with your listeners by further exploring the topic, by having a conversation, by conducting a brief Google search, um, educating your children, your colleagues and coworkers, and employing that personal responsibility by recycling and by doing our part, at the end of the day, what are we doing this for? Um, yes, we're interested in decarbonizing our economy and contributing to energy independence, security, and resilience, but ultimately it's for the betterment and well-being of society, which is comprised of people. Um, and that's, that's why we do what we do. Uh, we want to make the world a better place for those of us that call planet Earth home, right? The planet's going to be fine with or without us. It's are we going to be here to enjoy it and, and, and be good stewards of it or not? And I think um, we have an opportunity before us. And so we've covered our, our mission, our vision, our uh, position, our advocacy philosophy, and our smart initiative, and some of our, our industry's accomplishments to date and initiatives that we're committed to going forward. And I really appreciate the invitation to spend here close to an hour with you. And hopefully your, your listeners find some value in the conversation we've been able to share. Yeah, no, it's been very fun, very enjoyable. Um, what's the best way for people to get a hold of the, the coalition? Is uh, Can you give us the website so they can go and find it? Absolutely. Thank you. It's rngcoalition.com, rngcoalition.com. You can email info at rngcoalition.com. You can also find us on LinkedIn, Facebook. We have a YouTube page uh, or any of our socials, Twitter and Instagram, too, and we'd love to engage with your audience. And, and they could, the audience could become members 252, 253, and 254 after we become member 251, right? That's right. That's right. And, and, you know, members of the general public who maybe work for an employer that's, that has no nexus with our industry, they can still provide a tax-deductible donation if they're interested to support our mission and enable us to achieve our SMART initiative. But uh, yes, we look forward to their participating in the process just by better educating themselves. It's an incredible uh, first step that we certainly can't emphasize enough. So thank you again for the shout out. Yeah, no, thank you for carving out your time. You were very busy as a husband and a father and uh, the founder and CEO and executive director of the RNG Coalition. It's been a pleasure. Um, I've, I've, to our listeners, I've had the pleasure of spending the last hour with Johannes Escudero of the RNG Coalition. Uh, so thank you uh, to you and uh, to our listeners, thank you. And to Lisa Barber, our executive producer, and Mark Charbonneau, our man behind the glass. My name is Matt Lensink, and this is episode 36 of Energy Radio. Until next time, uh, stay safe and uh, have those conversations. Let, put, let's put the curb appeal on uh, renewable energy. Thank you very much.